0: Good morning. Now, that's that video right there was talking about singing and shouting, okay? So let's wake up, okay? Let's wake up and let's, uh, I'm not going to ask you to do any shouting unless you want to shout. Hey, shout. But we are going to sing because you know what we're going to sing about is his wonderful grace. We're going to sing about the wonderful grace of Jesus. Glorious is thy name. Oh, it's going to be a wonderful time. So let's all stand and let's sing together. Let's sing out. Wonderful grace of
1: Wonderful, the master's grace of Jesus.
0: singing that. Sorry about that. I just wanted to keep singing it. All right. But listen, anyway, let's do this one. Glorious name. Give us our number.
1: Blessed Savior,
0: To sing the song or one of our new songs, we do "Forever Jesus," because we will always, for eternally, be praising the name of Jesus. Let's sing that together, may we? seated. Before the uh, choir sings this morning, I'd like just to share a a passage of scripture with you because it goes it goes along with with what we're going to be singing. But it's something the reason why we're here and the reason why we sing about his wonderful grace and the reason why we sing glorious is thy name. The reason why we look forward to singing forever with him because if you're not looking forward to singing in when we're here, you're certainly not going to look forward to singing with him forever. <clears throat> but we're here, and, and, he's, and we know who he is, and we know what he's done. And the thing about it is, is he, he knows more than what we know. And he's, uh, he's just a great and mighty Savior. And so I'd like to just read a verse of Scripture with it. We're going to show it. And, uh, but um, this just uh, tells you about how much love that he has for us. Because you know that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, all of us, every one of us. And we know that the wages of sin is death, but He paid those wages, and He, you know, and we're with Him. We're part of His family, and we're adopted into His family, and um, and He knows us. He knows everything about us. And That's kind of scary for some of us, maybe, but He does know us. He knows our thoughts. Anyway, that's what, that's what this chapter. Talks about this psalm, and it's one we're so familiar with, but let's look at it anyway. O oh Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged or you have cl- enclosed around me behind and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? I ascend into the heaven. You are there. I make my bed in hell. Behold, you are there. I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uppermost parts of the sea. Even there, your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. And that's what the song is about that we're about to sing. No matter where we are or who we are or what we're thinking or what we're doing, if we know the Lord Jesus, he's always holding on to us. He's always, forever, he's going to be holding on to us. Listen to the words of the choir. We've sung it a couple of times. Sing along with us if you'd like to. He will hold me fast.
2: a great scripture that God has us surrounded he puts his hands around us and over the tops of us and nothing can penetrate that let's pray God we recognize you as the king of heaven you're on your throne you're all powerful you have all the knowledge and all the wisdom of how to make things run and we know from other scripture that all things work together for our good We love you, and we're chosen by you. Father, we do pray that in these days, as things are difficult, money's a problem, disease is a problem, politics are a problem, people are a problem, and Satan is ruling this world and causing problems. Help us, Father, to always realize and understand and trust you, have faith in you, That all that happens, you're in control of, you hold us fast, nothing can take us from your hand. Thank you for Jesus. That's our only hope for the problems that we have, which is sin. He died for us and rose again, uh, taking our sin away, offering us salvation for eternity, presence with you for eternity. We thank you for that, Father. Lift praise to you and uh, thank you for the time of worship and the time to come in your word. We give praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: Thank you, Ron and choir. very special Sunday for us as a congregation as we have an opportunity to um, honor George and Glenda their ministry to the Lord and then obviously the benefits that we have because they so faithfully have ministered for years uh, together. It was a Sunday morning and George walked through the door with a big smile on his face. No, it wasn't after LSU won the national championship a couple of years ago. It was just, in fact, a few months ago. It was all about a big fish he caught, or so he said. (laughs) Right away, he walks over to me and says, Hey, Thad, I hooked at least a five- to six-pound bass yesterday. I said that's great George I'm certainly glad you're enjoying your retirement and your opportunities to fish when Glenda gives you permission (laughs) he said yeah I'm certainly enjoying it and as he walked away I noticed him walking toward his good friend Norman Lee he said hey Norm I hooked a big bass yesterday it had to be at least a 10 to 12 pounder (laughs) I thought for a minute, hold on a second, he told me it was a five to six pounder. Oh, well, I thought it's a fish story and, well, it's George. <laughs> Norman looked at George and being the encourager, he said, well, George, that's just great. You keep up the good work. George nodded and said, thanks, buddy. Well, The next thing you know, Andy Johnson and Tony Tingle walked through the front door about at the same time. I said, hey, George, we heard you caught a big bass yesterday. Tell us about it. George said, fellas, I wish I had the time to tell you about it, but I have to go teach a Sunday school class. Andy said, well, did you share the story with Thad? If you did, we can just ask him about it. And George said, yeah, I told Thad, but I think Norman tells a much better story. George, I have to tell you, the Lord, somebody gave me that story the other day, and I wrote it out immediately when I thought of it. I'm going to try to get through this because there's a lot here. And I'm going to stick to my notes because I took a lot of time to prepare for today. Um, Sometimes you just have to read what's in front of you. I'll look at you as much as I can. Um... First of all, George and Glenda, we love you. Um, All of us love you guys. And we're very blessed to have you in our congregation. I would have never imagined that at 24 years old, when I was attending Faith Chapel, that one day I'd have the privilege to work alongside George Moranjian. But the Lord gave me and has given me so many blessings. And that's one big one that he's given me. I entitled... Well, they already have it up there. I entitled today, Blessed and a Blessing. The chorus of the hymn, Count Your Blessings, goes like this. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. Woodrow Kroll said these words concentrate on counting your blessings, and you'll have little time to count anything else. That'll teach. We could just close with that, but we won't. George, I'm in a unique position because I'm the person that is counting your blessings, so I hope that you'll agree with these blessings. But I've counted some of them for you and Glenda as I've looked at your lives. The first blessing that came to my mind is that you belong to the Lord. There is no greater blessing than belonging To the Lord Jesus Christ. And the older we get. The more we recognize. How blessed we are. To be in him. You are his. George. And you have had an abundant life. And you have eternal life. And that eternal life. Just for those of you who need to know this. That eternal life. Began the moment that George said. Yes I believe. And that's when it begins for you. George, not only do you belong to the Lord, but you have a wife who belongs to the Lord. In fact, I know you would agree with this statement, you have an excellent wife. When I think of Glenda, there are many words that come to my mind, but steady is one of them. She's steady. And just observing that, I really appreciate that that for 51 years she has been right by your side. The Bible says in Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 12, an excellent wife who can find. Now, George, I don't know if you found her, she found you. I didn't know that part of the story. An excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Well, just in case you forgot. Look at that. I almost wrote some captions over there, over the, but I didn't. But just in case you wanted to know what they were. Doesn't George look like he's thinking, yep, I'm a stud? (laughs) And Glenda's thinking, uh, he can just keep on thinking that. (laughs) These things just came to me. George, you have a faithful wife and one who supported you over your life of ministry. And one who continues to support you in ministry because even though today we honor George, as we remember the churches that he pastored and the school that he taught at, their ministry still continues together. And that's a great example because people in the Christian life, we don't retire from being a Christian and from serving the Lord. So thank you for your wonderful example as a husband and a wife. The third blessing that I thought of is that you have three wonderful gifts from the Lord. And then I put even extras, meaning your grandchildren. There's his children, their wives, and then the grandchildren. And they're all here today. Psalm 127 and verse 3 says that, Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. Chris was born to you and Glenda on August the 13th, 1975. He is married to Wendy, and they have been blessed with two children, Tyler and Allie. And then was born to you, Amanda, on September the 1st, 1976. A bicentennial baby. She is married to Jonathan McCants, and they have been blessed with four children, Aidan, Caroline, Micah. And Ellie. And then born to you on July 24th, 1978 was Andrew. Your daughter-in-law is Elena. I believe who's here with us today. Andrew and Elena were blessed to have a son, Riley. And he is a blessing, I know. As we all know, in this room, the Lord called Andrew home on May 28th. 2018. George and Glenda, please know that all of us at Grace and many beyond here grieve with you and also rejoice with you. I wrote this statement down that grief is not a momentary event. It continues. And we don't grieve as those without hope but we grieve because we miss the presence of the person. That occurred to me years ago when I was asked to do my grandmother's funeral. And as I was thinking through it, I was like, man, Lord, this is hard because I miss her presence. There's nothing wrong with missing the presence of the person we love. But I'm certainly glad, and I know you are, George and Glenda and the family, that our hope is beyond this life, and it's in Christ and we don't grieve as those without hope. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, oftentimes that last verse is skipped. But that's the purpose of what's going on before that. He says in verse 18, Therefore comfort one another with these words. And there was a problem going on in Thessalonian church. They were wondering what was happening to those people who had gone before him who were dead. But knew the Lord, and he answers it for him. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as indeed the rest of mankind do, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, so also God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, "What a scene, that's going to be. With the voice of the archangel with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Meaning this, if the Lord was to come today, Andrew gets a head start. Then we who are alive who remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. I love this next part. To meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. I know you're looking forward to seeing your Lord and Savior. But I know as well you're looking forward to seeing Andrew. Just know that all of us in this room have not forgotten that. And we love you. And I want to say this. I don't have it in my notes, but the Lord put it on my heart. I've listened to a lot of um, messages at funerals, and I've done a lot of funerals. I've not heard, heard one better than what you did, George, at Andrew's funeral. It's amazing. The grace of the Lord, as you ministered to an entire congregation of people, many of whom needed to hear the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for the grace that you gave to George that day. George, you've been blessed as well with other family members that have supported you from afar over the years, some that are able to be here this morning, and this is the information I have that I was given, so if I'm missing any family, just stand up and holler at me. I understand, George, that your brother Mike is here along with his wife, Amy. Is that true? You want to stand? I just want to see you. And daughter Katie. I wasn't given that information. Hello, Katie. It's good to have you guys here. I also understand that Glenda's sister, Rebecca Upchurch, is here. Okay. Am I missing anyone? Her friend Gary. Hello, Gary. It's good to have you here today. I did write this in my notes. Usually sister-in-laws have good stories. So Amy and Rebecca, I need to see you immediately after the service. (laughs) You've also had the privilege, George, of pastoring for many years. That pastoral ministry, from my understanding, began at Westminster Bible Church in Henderson, Texas, where you pastored from 1974 to 1977. And then you moved to God's country, to Lafayette, Louisiana, and pastored Lafayette Bible Church in 1977 and 1978. And then you came to Faith Chapel of Huffman, in 1978 and remain at Faith Chapel of Huffman in that location until 2000 and then there was a relocation as we all know and are aware of out here to Deerfoot where you were the pastor of Deerfoot Community Bible Church from 1997 to 2014 and then finally God did something that um, all of us look at and we say thank you Lord While many many churches split, the Lord brought two churches together. In 2014, Deerfoot Community Bible Church merged with Springville Road Community Church and formed Grace Community Church at Deerfoot. This part is hard to read. Where George served as associate pastor, I always laugh at that. From 2014 to 2020, George, I never thought of you as my associate pastor. I just thought of you as my pastor and my friend. So while people look at a title on a door, I, I didn't. George, not only have you had the privilege of pastoring many churches and being a part with so many people, but you've had the great privilege of teaching at Southeastern Bible College from 1978 to 2000. That's a long time. And as I look back over the classes you taught, I believe I had most of them, if not all of them. And I did have a couple of graduate classes with George as well. He taught Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, Romans, Daniel, Revelation, doctrine at least. They had it broke down, doctrine 101, 201, 301. I'm not so certain I didn't have all of them with him. I don't remember that part. But he was and is an excellent Bible teacher. As I say often, he's not a little good, he's really good. God has gifted him to teach his word. And being a student under him, while I didn't appreciate him as much at the time, There are no words I have today. I did, George, wear this blue sport coat today in honor of you, because I think every single time I saw you at Southeastern, you were wearing a blue sport coat. (laughs) They made us dress up at that school. George, I asked a few students, contacted a few students, And they gave me some thoughts about you. One student said, while George was known for his one-liners in the pulpit and in the classroom, he faithfully and accurately delivered the word of God. And you are known for your one-liners. Another student said, I loved his classes because you learned all kinds of things that had nothing to do with the class. When this person told me this, I couldn't disagree. Yet, he taught the material and we learned and grew from it. I love the personal knowledge we were able to receive about the professors and their families, even about a dog named Button. And then one from the state of Indiana texted me a couple of days ago. And said this. You'll love this, George. I loved hearing his southern accent when he taught and preached. His love for the Lord was evident. I also remember him being an LSU fan, but Roll Tide. <laughs> that one hurt me to type out, George. It hurt me. Thank you for faithfully teaching the Word of God, George. The seventh blessing that I wrote down is you have been blessed with many people who love you and Glenda. And when I think of you, I immediately think of Glenda. Someone wrote, a good pastor has by his side a great supporter. George, you have that. I was thinking of a verse that might adequately describe our thoughts of you guys. And so as Paul's writing to the Thessalonian believers, he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of our God and Father. And so Paul is thanking along with Silas and others, thanking the Lord for those believers. And I don't know one person in here who would not walk behind this pulpit and say thank you Lord for George and Glenda. So we thank you so much for your life and your ministry uh, with us. Not only have you been blessed, and I'm sure if you were standing behind here, you would have many more things to say about that. But you've been a blessing to many. George is a pastor, and a teacher. Wayne Barber said this about a shepherd's heart. Men who have a shepherd's heart are compassionate, self-disciplined, bold, and relentless in defending the flock and biblical truth. They feed and nourish the sheep, faithfully giving them the word of God without apology, with an understanding that they will stand before the Lord one day to give an account of how they handled the scriptures. I know because I'm a pastor as well, oftentimes a temptation that you could come across for a pastor is not to give the whole counsel of God because of fear of what people might say. Um, I know George has not been fearful of that. He's faithfully executed and preached and taught the word of God to feed his flock. In fact, it was a Wednesday night at Faith Chapel in Huffman. I was about 24 or 25 years old. And Ian walked in the sanctuary through the little foyer they had and right into the sanctuary. Ian walked two men dressed in white shirts, all decked out. They walked in propagating or wanting to propagate a false message. Why? Because they were false teachers. And I vividly remember that Pastor George Morange confronted these men in love with the truth of the gospel, using God's word to refute their message. George, I've never forgotten that night. You might have forgotten that night, but I have not forgotten that night. I walked away as a 24 or 25 year old thinking, wow, that's part of being a pastor. I don't know if I can do that. George, thank you for setting the example for me and for so many that the Lord has touched because of your ministry. There are many passages of Scripture, George, that I could have landed on this morning, but there's one that kind of describes a few thoughts that I have about your life and ministry. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 20. I want to look at verses 17 through 27. I just want to share a few thoughts this morning. context of the passage is Paul has called the Ephesian elders to Miletus. He addresses them. We won't deal with all the address, but there's a few things that I want to point out this morning that I thought of as I thought of George Morange and his ministry. It says from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and tr- with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. You know, the first thing I thought of when I, when I thought of George in the ministry is what Paul said here. I was with you the whole time serving the Lord. That might seem like a, why would you hone in on that phrase, but there are men in ministry who serve themselves. You do know that. You don't have to go far to find them. Men who are self-serving, who want all the credit and all the glory for all the things that take place. That's not what Paul did, and that's not what George did. That's not what George does. He serves the Lord, and he continues to do so. There are two things about that word serving there that are really important. The first is the word Paul uses for serving carries the idea of serving another who owns him as a possession. You get that? So who owns George Marange? Some might say, well, Glenda does. <laughs> no. The Lord does. The Lord owns George Mirage. And so when we read that phrase and we see that word serving, and we think about our own lives, if you're in Christ today, you are his possession. You understand that? The Bible says we've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. We've been bought. We're not our own. So when people look at churches, for us in this church, it should be said that we all serve the Lord. That we all do. That the characterization of those who attend that weird church out there on Deerfoot is they serve the Lord. do you? Do you serve the Lord? A lot of times when we know this to be true, it can be a battle, can it? And sometimes it kind of gets confusing for us. Am I serving the Lord? Or am I doing this just to receive the glory and the credit? We don't preach to receive glory and honor. We don't teach to receive glory and honor. We don't sing to receive glory and honor. We don't Sing with children to receive glory and honor. We serve the Lord for His honor and His glory. That doesn't make sense to the world. And I would say that probably doesn't make sense to some churches. Paul served the Lord, it says here. He was the Lord's possession. But there's something else about that word... It's present tense. You say, where do you get all these weird things? Him. <laughs> Dr. Hughley. I mean, if you went to Southeastern Bible College, you, it was word for word for word for word. You didn't skip over things just because it was hard. So the words present tense meaning this, it was Paul's lifestyle. It was how he was known. So it brought this question to my mind. How are you known? (laughs) It's a good question. How are you known? When I think of George, I think he's known as a man who serves the Lord. Thank you, George, and thank you, Glenda, for your example. Notice, secondly, in the passage, he says, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. Paul had a lot of suffering. He had a lot of tears, a lot of trials. Do you know this might be news to some of you in the ministry there are trials and there are tears. Do you know that? Do you know how many times I've quit in 30 years? Man, so many times I can't count. Because you bear the burden of the people. You do. A good shepherd bears the burdens of the people. Why? Because he loves them. There's not a person in here I don't love. I don't know all of you. But I love you with the love of Christ. I'm supposed to do that. And it's not a burden for me to do that. Notice he says, this is a big statement, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. When I think about shrinking, I think about something I did to Teresa's shirt one time. (laughs) I had good intentions. I washed one of her shirts and then I put it in the dryer. It didn't come out the same as it went in. I wanted to back away from saying I was responsible for that. <laughs> but I couldn't deny it. None of my boys knew how to do the laundry. Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring to you. Anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house. That word there, the word shrink, was used for drawing back or down sails on a ship. Metaphorically, it has the idea of not holding back or keeping nothing back. Not holding back. No matter what. May need to be said. (laughs) Do you know the Bible tells us that teachers incur, what? A stricter judgment. That means something. And I know that for George, I would say I have never heard him shrink back from anything. Isn't that nice to have? Because I'm going to tell you something. You can go to many churches where even this book is opened and yet not honored in context. Where things are skipped over. It scares me to think about skipping over something. I might not know the answers to all of them, and I don't. But I don't want to skip over it. I looked in the commentary one time because I was looking for some guidance as it related to one of the warning passages in Hebrews 5. that goes from 5.11 through 6.12. And this particular person just skipped it. I'm like, why well, do you skip it? It's What do you do with that? I'm looking for a little bit of affirmation. You're giving me nothing. At least put in there, I don't know what it means. Paul said he didn't shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. In other words, I didn't skip a thing. I remember his scriptures then, not only was he writing, but he had the Old Testament. For us, we have the whole revelation of God. You know, there people who skip the book of Revelation because they say, I can't understand it. Do you know, here's some great news. If you have the Spirit of God, you know who's your teacher? Spirit of God. Thank you, George, for not skipping over the hard things. Notice this next part. Paul said to them, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. Whew. You know the way most people function? Even some in Christianity, certainly in the pagan world, but even in Christianity, is it's my life. It's my life. Have you ever ask someone the question, what, what's... What's the Lord leading you to do with your life? And been given the response, well, I'm going to do what I want to do with my life. Hold on a second. There's two levels in terms of God's will. His written real will, which we know is right here in this book. He tells us what to do. But he also calls every single one of us, listen to this, every single person in this room has been called to the ministry you may not be a pastor, you may not be an evangelist, but if you're a believer in Christ, you've been called to minister, to serve the Lord. So Paul says to these brothers, he said, I do not consider my life of any account. I did there is as, as valuable to myself, or as dear to myself, so that I may finish, excuse me, that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. That's what he says. That I may finish my course, my ministry, which I received from the Lord. He recognized that the ministry he had came from God. He wanted to finish well. Vance Havner wrote this, Some Christians run well at the start, but blessed is the man who finishes well. You know, it's kind of like when I was in track in high school. When I was running the 100 and the 200 and the 400, I mean, I, here's the start, and I knew where the finish was. It was quick. If it was 100. It didn't last long at all. 200 is pretty quick. 400, you had to run a little more. But I also, not only did I sprint, but I ran cross-country. That's a little different. Cross-country race was 3.1 miles. I wasn't so hip on that. Coach made me run cross-country. He made all the track guys run cross-country. But 3.1 miles is different than running 100 yards miles, you know what you have to do? The longer you run, you have to figure out the pace that you can go. Well, Paul says here that his desire was to finish the course and the ministry that the Lord Jesus had given to him. And this last part I have to mention, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Because it is a gospel of what? Grace. George taught with Dr. Alden Gannett. And I was a student under Dr. Alden Gannett. And he would pound his shoes. He would get up on his toes. Grace. And he would just say it. Grace. He never thought he was going to be done with saying the word. But it was a gospel of grace. That Paul testified of. Thank you, George, for your faithful rendering of the gospel of grace. And then Paul concludes this section. He says, And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you. He has an audience. I'm giving testimony to you. This day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. That's quite a statement. (laughs) That's strong. How in the world could he say that? We don't have to guess. He tells us the next verse. For or because I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. So, In that section, twice, he says, look, I didn't shrink, I didn't back away from. I'm innocent of the blood of all men. That word innocent there, there are two thoughts about that word. Number one, it literally describes one that is absent of dirt. That's the picture. I've never met a kid who's absent of dirt. Most kids have an innate ability to be able to find the dirt and especially keep the dirt under their fingernails. So it literally describes one that is absent of dirt. I'm innocent, Paul says. This word describes, secondly, a man with a clear conscience. Clear conscience. You ever been in a discussion with someone about a clear conscience? You ever had that discussion with someone? You know what sets you free? Truth. The Bible says the truth will set you free. Paul's saying to these elders, I'm innocent. You know what in essence he's saying? I'm innocent, you be innocent. You be innocent. So as believers in Christ who have the responsibility to bring forth the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, have we faithfully been declaring a gospel of grace? You see, for man, in his mind, it's hard to fathom that it's all grace. In man's mind, it's like, well, hold on a second. That sounds just impossible. It sounds good, but what do I have to do? Do I have to do this or do that? It's a gospel of grace. And as believers in Christ, if we want a clean conscience when presenting the gospel, present the gospel of grace, not of works of grace George when I was at Southeastern Bible College sitting under you thinking back on all those classes and then sitting under you when Teresa and I made a decision in 1986 to start attending Faith Chapel of Huffman I can't think of one time where I walked out of the classroom or out of the church thinking, well, he just didn't preach the word today or teach the word. Not one time. I remember attending a church several years ago in the Birmingham area. And I was young. I was probably 25. Still going to Huffman. But they had a special event and I was asked to be At this event, at the church. And so I walked into the church, and um, the pastor gets behind the pulpit and he says, Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. I'm like, Hey, because I wasn't quite sure what to expect. He read verses 1 through 7. He said, Let's pray. Like, that's good too. And then he opens his eyes. And he shuts his Bible. And for the next forty five minutes, he went this way. And he went this way. He made me very tired. And he went this way that and he didn't say one thing about the Bible. Teresa put her hand on my leg. Because even back then I wanted to stand up and say, What are you doing? I mean, you have a responsibility to discharge the Word of God. While George is funny, he was not called to be a comedian. He was called to preach and teach the Word of God and shepherd people. And George, I wasn't one of those three students. I wanted to tell you mine personally that in my life, I've been blessed in many ways. One of the richest blessings is to be able to work alongside of you for the last five years. I always have felt like the junior because I am the junior. I am. I'm learning from him. Guys, we're lifetime students. There may have been a season where he taught at Southeastern in a season where he was my pastor. But as far as I'm concerned, he's still my pastor and he's still my teacher. So that's what I would say to you. And I think one of the things, George, that I really appreciate and have appreciated over the last few years is, you know, when we first merged, I thought, wow, there are two professors, not just people, professors, that are sitting in this church. But I can say that not only are you my teacher, my pastor, but you're my friend. And Dr. Hughley, you're my friend. And Dr. Hughley told me one time, you'll get a kick out of it. He said, little brother, if you'd have told me that you were going to be my pastor one day, I would have said, no way. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I would have said no way too, believe me. I like what Jay Vernon McGee says. I don't know that George would write the same things, but I thought this was worth thinking about. He says, as I write this, I'm a retired preacher. I have made many blunders and failed in many ways. But as I look back on my ministry, I can say truthfully that when I stood in the pulpit, I declared the word of God as I saw it. I have the deep satisfaction of knowing that if I went back to any pulpit which I have held, I haven't a thing to add to what I have already said. I don't mean I couldn't say it in a better way, but the important thing is that I declared the whole counsel. Of God. I have always believed the important issue is to get out the entire Word of God. George, I know that was probably not as long as you would have gone, <laughs> but um, that's what the Lord put on my mind and my heart today for you. And We all publicly thank you for your life of ministry, you and Glenda, and we want to thank you for that right now. Now, y'all can come on up. Come on on up. I thought you might I thought you and Glenda might want to just say you gonna meet and you gonna meet a, do, renew your vows or something yeah.
1: <laughs> you can <use> it too.
4: <coughs> the one thing you left out was how much you've taught me huh. you know I can honestly say that I've never sat through one of your sermons without being fed and uh Dr. Hugh, we did a pretty good job, didn't we? (laughs) And I'm just hanging on to their coattails. (laughs) Um, I didn't expect this. I I was coming to hear you preach. I'm glad you had a sermon. I just didn't want to be the subject of it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I I was telling Glenda, I said, honey, uh, they're going to tell me a lot of things that I've supposedly done And I said, and the the irony of it is that a lot of things she did, and I got credit for it. And so I thank you. And uh, at times she made me feel like Humpty Dumpty. I was pushed. (laughs) But she always pushed me in the right direction (coughs) and reminded me uh, of what I was supposed to be doing. And uh, God has, uh, he has funny ways of doing what he wants done and we came to Birmingham to be perfectly honest we came to Birmingham because at Lafayette we had uh, stepped into a situation that we didn't anticipate and I didn't feel there was any way to resolve it without just destroying the work and so I called my uncle Uncle Jim who was here and I told him about it and He said, why don't you come on up here for a couple of days and we'll talk. And he said, you know, I wanted you here all the time, but I knew you were just starting out and I didn't want to interfere with your getting good pastoral experience. But he said, if you're going to leave Lafayette, he said, we want you right here. And Dr. Gannett told me that. Mm. And I couldn't believe it. But that first year, I just had a cloud hanging over me because I, I felt like I'd failed in Lafayette. And I guess I did in, in some way. Um, there was a man there who had real issues with my uncle, unresolved issues. Uncle Jim married the girl that he wanted to marry <laughs> and, 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 and other things. But uh, And here I am. I'm his nephew. So he, he saw a chance to maybe get even with uh Uncle Jim, through, through me. But anyway, we came to Birmingham. And at the end of that first year, they always chose a faculty member of the year or whatever. And, and I was awarded that the first year. And I began to sense that uh, this is really where God wanted me all along. And so I enjoyed the teaching, but I enjoyed the pastoral ministry. Because I was teaching pastoral ministry, so the experience was always important. And I remember you. I remember you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's close but, in prayer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I had a special love for you because you were from Louisiana. Uh, and I, I could talk to you. You understood <laughs> my language. <laughs> you know? But uh, I, I'm, we're proud to be here. We really are. I mean, you people are are special people. You, you've uh, embraced Glenda and put up with me. and And I always had... Job security because I knew if they fired me, she was—they'd lose her too. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. they kept me, so that Linda would stay. But I do thank you for uh, for uh, for all this. And uh, the ir- irony is that I'm retired. But usually, when you retire from your work, you never go back to that that office again. But this is where I work. So we'll, we'll be here. We'll be back next Sunday. <laughs> and uh, hoping, hopefully, doing a lot of the things I was doing before, I just don't get paid for it anymore. <laughs> and that's all right. It's all right. But I thank each and every one of you, all the way around to, to Bruce over there. <laughs> thank every one of you for supporting us and encouraging us and giving us the privilege of uh, ministering to you. The merger was beyond my my wildest dream. Uh, I always knew toward the end that was going to happen because it was the only way to meet both our needs. Y'all needed a bigger place. (coughs) We needed people. And the merger accommodated that. And uh, we've just seen it grow. We've seen the blessings that have come out of it. And uh, if the Lord tarries, then there's still work to do. And Grace Community Church uh, will be ministering uh, to our neck of the woods and through missions all over the world. And uh, we want to be a part of that. But we thank you. Thank you, guys.
3: All right. Well, um, why don't you remain standing? I think Ron's going to lead us in in a song. And then I've got a couple of things I need to say before we dismiss.
0: For this song, let Y'all going be seated, okay? Wanted to kind of explain why why I picked this particular song that we're gonna uh, sing with. It really has nothing to do with you, George. <laughs> um, and and me and, and me and Th- I was having a hard time coming up with. me and Th- were talking the other day, and he said, "Why don't you ask George for one of his favorite songs?" You know. He anyway, also, I was thinking about, it, but I never called you, you know, because I never got that far. But I think this would. This would have to be one, because I think George would tell you that um, no matter what all was said good about you today, which was all true and everything, no matter what your ministry has been through the years, all the things that, that you have accomplished and what, the God, and what God has done through you, there's not one single one of those things that, that earned your salvation. You didn't earn your salvation through one single one of the ministries that you did, the churches you pastored, and you'd say that. You'd say that. The third verse of this song says, For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's Lamb. It's only through what Jesus did at Calvary is why we can claim the great salvation that we have. I've heard you say it many many times in different ways. We were uh in an elder meeting the other night and we were having a great just a fantastic sharing session and prayer session. And we were sitting there and um you know most of it had already gone around and we prayed and everything and then all of a sudden Buddy Seal came in he prayed again. And I've heard him pray this and I've prayed it and many of you have prayed it. I said uh said Lord Thank you for your great salvation. Help us never to help us never to take it for granted and all of a sudden, I just became convicted about that, buddy you know, and it just stayed on my mind um I'm saying, you know, am I taking my salvation for granted? Am I getting so busy in my life, especially we got all this stuff coming up like Thanksgiving and Christmas and all the f- stuff we got going. Am I going to get involved in all of that and just forget about the great salvation that my God has provided for me and for George and for all of us? And so I got to thinking, no, because there's nothing that I can have done, nothing that George could do for his, Glenda could do for hers, or any of us can do for ours, that gives us that great salvation. It's only through the love of Christ that we have the salvation, and that he gives us the ability, to all of us, to serve him. So I wanted us to sing this song, Jesus Paid It All, All to Him I owe." Would you say that would be one of your favorite things, you know? It would be, have to be one of your favorite songs, because that's exactly right. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he was the one who washed it white as snow. So um, let's just sing this together, okay? And let's just think about the great salvation that he has provided for every one of us. And let's just be thankful today that God has provided it. He's provided 100% of it. And that we can claim it. And we can enjoy it. And we'll spend eternity because of it. Let's sing this together, maybe. Sing it as a prayer, if you'd like to.
5: I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. A crimson stain He washed it white as snow For nothing good have I Whereby thy grace to claim I'll wash my garments white In the blood of Calvary's land Jesus paid it all All to Him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as snow And when before the throne i stand in him complete jesus died my soul to save my lips shall still repeat let's repeat it now jesus paid in all all to him i owe sin had left a crimson stain He
0: washed it white as snow. Let's repeat that one more time without the instruments. With our voices. Let's sing it. Jesus
5: paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow.
3: Thank you, Ron. And I'm going to ask that you stand and we close in prayer. And as we do, um, just a reminder this afternoon from 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock, there'll be a reception honoring uh, George and Glenda. And I hope you can stop by. It's just a stop by when you can. If you want to come at 3 and leave it at 5, that's fine. But it's a come and go as you are able to. There will be opportunity for you to express your thanks to George and Glenda for their ministry over the years. So why don't we close in a word of prayer together. Our Father, we thank you this morning for your great grace. Grace that is indeed greater than all our sin. Lord, I thank you so much for um, the privilege of being able to watch, as an observer, uh, the lives of George and Glenda, and to see, Lord, how you've used them over the years, and and specifically how you have used um, them together in ministry, and then how, Lord, you've used George as a pastor and a teacher, and so many lives have been touched uh, by their ministry, and his ministry. And so, Lord, I pray you'd help us to be thankful people. Your word tells us to be grateful for those that labor among us. And so we want to say thank you for the opportunity we have had and do have, continue to have, to walk alongside George and Glenda and to do ministry with them, to God be the glory in all those things. And so we ask, Lord, that you would uh, help us as we leave today to honor you with our lives. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. You're dismissed.